Hello, I'm Owen. Welcome to Wellspring Baptist Church Podcast. We're glad you're listening. For more information on all that's going on at Wellspring, please visit www.wellspringbaptistchurch.org. I hope this message is a blessing to you. Philippians chapter 4. I wonder if anybody got a chance to do their homework last week. You remember what it was? We were going to put the practice uh, verse 1 of Philippians chapter 4 that I can, through Christ, stand fast in the gospel. Remember that? And then the second point last week was I can, through Christ, rejoice always. 
and forevermore. Right? I can through Christ. Verse 6. Be careful for nothing or full of care about nothing or worry about nothing or be anxious for nothing. And then verse 6 also. I can through Christ pray about everything. So instead of worrying, taking a chance to stop and pray, pray about it, casting that care upon the Lord. And then that leads us to where we're going to start off this morning in verse 7. Philippians 4 and verse 7. We'll read verse 7 and 8. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, look at this, think on these things, think on these things. It's so important to the Lord what we think about. He is concerned about what is in our mind, what we, our thoughts and what we think about. And if our hearts and minds will be kept in peace, in the peace of God, we must follow his instruction of what we think about. What we eat affects us physically. Is that correct? What we think about affects us mentally. Think wrong. Feel wrong. (laughs) Think right. Feel right. He says here, whatsoever. Whatsoever is true. That's a big question today, isn't it? What is true? I mean, this has been a big question, though, since the beginning of time, since the father of lies entered into the Garden of Eden and began to twist the truth to Eve. It's always been this way. Um, You cannot just assume what you're hearing is true. There has to be a standard. And more today than ever, I believe, there has to be a standard. The standard is what? The Word of God. It's got to be. There has to be a standard. If we were to build this building, and all the craftsmen, all the workmen, had a different standard. Well, you... What you think an inch is, that'll be the inch. And what you think a foot is, that'll be a foot. Nothing, nothing would be square or plumb or level. Nothing. It wouldn't be safe, maybe even. (laughs) You know? And so there has to be an absolute truth. There has to be something apart from us. Apart from us being the one that says this is truth. To say, no, this is truth. And this, when I have a question, when I need a standard, when I have to measure, I have a standard. I have a measuring stick to know what is truth, to measure all things. What is truth? Pilate asked this question with the embodiment of truth standing right in front of him. Jesus Christ. Truth manifests in the flesh. Let me tell you this. Our imaginations are not true. Our imaginations are not true. I, 
If you base your feelings or base your life off of imaginations, you'll end up in a bad place. I think there's many people that have a secret life of imaginations. They, it's easier, I guess, than considering reality. You know, we call this, they live in la-la land, right? Living in la-la land. But the Bible has something to say about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought. Again, I don't think our minds are just supposed to wander. I don't think our thoughts, we just think about whatever pops into our head. We have to okay it or not. Right? We have to approve of that thought process. Approve of that, what we're, that imagination. And so he says, bringing into captivity every thought to the what? Obedience of Christ, according to the standard. If the thoughts and the imaginations are not measuring up to the standard, then it doesn't belong in our mind. That's what he's saying. So we have to be, what? Proactive. Is that true? We have to be proactive here of what comes in. Like there's almost a, a, a watch at the gate of our mind to say, nope, not allowed in. Nope, not allowed in. You say, why? Because many people fall. Many people fall because of what comes in here and the thought processes and the imaginations. There's evil imaginations before there's evil acts. So he says, cast those off, cast them down, bring them into captivity. All of these things happen, the casting down and the bringing into captivity. All of this happens in our minds, in our minds. Isn't it interesting in the Gospels that over and over the Bible tells us and wants us to know for sure. Christ said that the Bible says that Christ knew their thoughts. I think we're living in la-la land if we think that if our actions are okay and our thoughts are evil, that we're okay. Christ sees our thoughts the same as he sees our actions. He sees them the exact same. He looks down, he sees what we're thinking, and he sees what we're doing. Now maybe other people see what we're doing, but the Lord Jesus Christ sees what our thoughts are. He knows our hearts. Matter of fact, that's where he looks, is the heart. And the thoughts and the mind. So this is important to us to say, you know, many times Christians are like, hey, my thoughts are, they're really, if people knew what my thoughts were, whoa, right? But my actions are okay. Right now I'm able to keep that in check. So no problem. Yeah, big problem. We've got to bring our thoughts and our imaginations in line with the standard, with the truth. Think on these things, he says. Then he says, whatsoever is honest. What is honest? That's what we're supposed to think about. That's a hard job, I would say. We need Christ. We need the power of Christ to think on those things which are honest. In our culture and in this day and age, there is an abundance of information. And what, what I, an abundance of knowledge. But can I say this? And I'm saying this pretty confidently. Most of it's not true. Most of it's not true. 
And even what is true may not be honest. There's a lot of people, especially when it comes to the media, that can report something that's partly true. And they're just not being honest about it. Would you agree with that? And the information that we're hearing today, a lot of it is not honest. You say, well, if I'm supposed to kick every false thought and every dishonest thought out of my head, well, that leaves a lot less for me to think about. <laughs> yeah, there would be a lot more room up there. A lot more for better thoughts, right? I mean, if you start to thinking about what it is that is so, you know, I've spent so much time thinking about what's false and what's dishonest. Quit thinking about it. Someone comes up to you and says, what do you think about X, Y, and Z that's making the headlines of the news this week? You say, I don't think it's true. And it's certainly not honest. So I don't think about it. Right? And I got a lot more peace and joy. That's how easy it is. You know, I got a confession to make. I do check the news. And I do it for entertainment. You know, I do. But I always go at it with this philosophy, with this thought in mind. And I even say it sometimes to Rebecca joking around. But so I go to watch the news and I say, I'm going to go see what they want me to think about. Because that's it. That's all it is. They only talk about what they want you to think about. And it's so obvious. They'll talk about this war over here and forget about all the other wars going on that have been going on for 20 years. They'll talk about this thing over here and forget about all the other. You know, what they don't say is so, it's pretty telling. It's like, why is that what they're focusing on when there's all this other stuff? You know what I'm saying? We're being programmed to think about what somebody else who, has, who does not use this as the standard wants us to think about. And then that's what we think about. And then we go to work and that's what we talk about. What they told us to. What is, no, God wants a transformed mind. Something that's completely different than that. Renewed. We don't have to fall into these traps. Just free ourselves of this stuff. At least know what it is. Hey, I'm going to go watch something that's totally dishonest. Why? To find out what is true, right? Say, so this is what they're not saying is, is, uh, is quite telling, I would say. I hope somebody agrees with me here on this. Whatsoever things are just, and whatsoever things are pure, and whatsoever things are lovely. Oh my goodness. There goes my favorite books, my TV programs, and my podcasts. That stuff is not just pure and lovely, right? That gossip that I love to get into in the office, it's just not pure and lovely, right? If this is the standard... Boy, I tell you, if we start clearing all this stuff out, it leaves a lot more room in our mind, doesn't it? If you start thinking about it, it's like if I, have, if I put a watch at the door and, and this is the standard of what gets in, what am I going to think about? <laughs> My mind would be empty and clear. I might think about what the Lord wants me to think about. I might focus on what matters. If it's not just, if it's not pure, if it's not lovely, what about good report? How shocked would you be this morning or this afternoon if you did go watch the Sunday shows? And what they, all, what they chose was just, you know, all good news. 
This is, this is the great stuff that's happening in the world today. They say, no, we're not going to talk about wars or violence or lying and stealing and cheating and famine and pestilence and corruption. We're not going to talk about that this Sunday. We're going to just bring the good reports. We'd be shocked. We'd be, what happened? There's a huge change here. Why? Because we're so used to negative, constant negative, no virtue, no praise. As we read this, we may say, well, that's my problem. I've been thinking about all the wrong things. I've been thinking about what the world wants me to think about. I've been thinking about what the God of this world wants me to think about. Here's my problem. But the God of heaven said, think on these things, which is different, isn't it? Very different. Think on these things. What we think about, here's the thing. Many times, our circumstance, we always pray as if our circumstances have to change for us to be happy or have joy or peace. We, if we listen to our prayers many times, we, we would, it would be telling. We say, Lord, change my circumstances so that I can have joy and peace. We don't say those exact words, but many times that's what we're saying when we pray. But God can give us peace in the midst of the storm. He said in this world, we'll have tribulation. But in me, you'll have peace. And so he doesn't have to change our circumstances to give us peace and joy. That's what this whole book is about, Philippians. Again, a prison epistle. And he has great joy, always rejoicing. There's a story from the Old Testament I love. It's in the book of Habakkuk. The prophet here, he's a prophet in Judah in the southern kingdom. And what's really fascinating about this book of Habakkuk is he doesn't really prophesy to the people. Um, you know, it's not a prophecy to the people. This, this whole book is a back and forth between him and God. If you read it, it's back and forth between him and God. And here's what the thing is. All the people had been corrupt. All the leadership, all the government had been corrupted. And he is bitter about it. He's basically saying, God, why won't you judge your people? God, why won't you fix these problems? Let's just read the first couple verses. Habakkuk 1, 1 through 4. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. Oh Lord, how long, he's saying, shall I cry and thou wilt not hear. And every, even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance for spoiling and violence are before me? And there are that rise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked. And judgment doth never go forth. And the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. He's saying, look God, how, how are you not seeing all this violence and all this evil and all this injustice. Nobody cares about your word anymore. Nobody cares about true judgment anymore. Actually, the leadership is corrupt. And, and the wicked are in rule. And, and he's personally struggling with this. And asking God kind of in a bitter way. Like, God, why aren't you going to do anything about this? And God responds. In the verses that follow. If you were to read it yourself. Verses 5 to 11. He says, don't worry Habakkuk. I am going to judge my people. 
I'm going to send the Chaldeans. I'm going to send the Babylonians. And they're going to judge this people. They're going to crush them. And then they'll turn back to me. And Habakkuk says, in frustration. I mean, if you read it, you can almost hear his frustration as saying, that's not good. I mean, that's worse. Like, yeah, we're bad. But the Babylonians are worse. The Chaldean, that's worse. Why would you use them to judge us? They're worse than we are. Right? And he's frustrated. And the Lord responds back and forth with Habakkuk. And here's what's interesting. Throughout this book, Habakkuk's circumstances never change. Matter of fact, what God tells Habakkuk is things are going to get worse before they get better. That's what he tells him. Things are going to get worse before he gets better. But somehow, miraculously, the presence of God and hearing from God personally changed Habakkuk from being critical and cynical and bitter and angry to the final verses of this book go like this. And I think this is awesome. This is a, this is a personal revival for an individual. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 to 19. He says, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, the field shall yield no meat, the flocks shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. He says, Although, although things are going to get worse. Although, he says, there's going to be famine. Although, there's going to be judgment upon me and our people. Although, yet, verse 18, yet, (laughs) I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Look, Christian, here's here's the kind of the summary. That's it right there in Philippians. Don't let the world and the devil and evil steal your joy. If you're born again Christian, you've got a lot to thank God for no matter what happens. Don't allow the circumstances of this world to steal your joy and peace. And then he goes on to say, personally, he's going to rise to new heights. Hey, the world could be falling falling down around him. And he's going to do all that he can do. He's the prophet. But if the people won't hear... The people won't hear, right? So he says, the Lord, God, my strength, he says, is my strength. And he will make my feet like hinds feet. And he will make me to walk upon mine high places. That's how the, that's how the book ends. You know what he says? Hey, it could get worse. It's going to get bad. But you know what? God's going to take me to new heights. He's gonna, he says, I feel light as a feather. Yeah, I was burdened down. I was burdened down so much that I couldn't take it. But now I feel light as a feather. I'm going to go to the top of the mountain. I'm as light like a little deer, just up through there, right? I got hinds feet. I'm going to higher places for the Lord. This is the, this is the mindset. You say, what changed in his life? Nothing around him. Nothing. Matter of fact, he got a promise it was going to get worse. But his thoughts changed. His thinking changed. 
And he was able to rejoice in the Lord. I will run and not be weary. I'll walk and not faint. I will go to higher ground for the Lord. This is wonderful. Matter of fact, the key verse of Habakkuk, that short little book, is Habakkuk 2.4. The end of that verse says, the just shall live by faith. You've read it in the New Testament. It's re- repeated in the New Testament. The Lord says, the just shall live by faith. And you know what, he, you know what he's saying there? He took, used Habakkuk as an example of a person living in bad circumstances, but yet focusing on the Lord by faith and able to have a different mindset Able to have the joy of the Lord in the midst of troubles and trials and tribulations. That's faith. That's faith in God's work. So the first point. I can through Christ. Think. The second point, back in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. I can through Christ think. The second point. I can through Christ learn. Philippians 4 verse 9. It says those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. He's thanking them for their gift. They had supported him financially. Verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. Look at that. I have learned. In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere, in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I want you to, I want you to point out a couple things. Verse 9, he says, he learned and received. Learned and received, verse 9. Verse 11, he says, I have learned. That's past tense. Verse 12, he says, I am instructed. So, say this with me this morning. Say this. I am learning. Say it. I am learning. That's what Paul said. I have learned. I am learning. I am instructed. Paul was still learning at the end of his life. I can through Christ learn. Learn what? Learn what? What's that about? Learn contentment. Apparently, this is not something that we're born with. As humans. He says, whatsoever state I am in. And I believe that that would include Ohio. Right? Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about when you're winning, you're content. When you're losing, you're content. When you're abounding, you're content. When you're abased. You know, some folks have different temptations. Some folks, when they're abased, oh, they're drawn close to the Lord. But when they're abounding, no problem. You know, I can handle this myself. I don't need the Lord. I don't need faith. Why? Everything's going well. So there's a danger on both sides. You've got to watch it. We need the Lord whether we're abased 
are abounding. And our contentment is in the Lord, whether we're abased or abounding, whether we're full or in need. Because we're all always in need. I think sports is a good illustration in life, don't you? To illustrate a lot of, a lot of different principles and a lot of different things. This past week, they had the Kids Olympics, which was really good. And, you know, one of the things sports teaches you is you give it your all. And whether it's individual or team sports, you don't quit, you don't slack. But also, you know what you want for, for kids to learn? Is that when you're losing, to keep a good attitude. Right? You know? And when your team's losing, to keep a positive attitude and being able to encourage one another. To rally. You see it all the time. When there's a right spirit and right attitude, boy, you can cause your team... To rally, can't you? Don't get discouraged. Don't give up. How do you learn this? How do you learn contentment? You kind of see it in three ways there. Three ways. He says in verse 9, learned and received. He said, as you've heard and seen in me. We can learn contentment by looking at others. Examples. For instance, we actually can learn contentment by reading this passage. From Paul's life. We can learn contentment from the example of Paul the Apostle. We can learn the example of reading the Gospels of Jesus Christ. We can learn contentment from others. You hear it and see it in others. I, I, I encourage people, especially young people, especially you know, uh, high school, college age kids, to, to travel to foreign countries where there's great poverty. It's eye-opening. I think it's eye-opening. Why? Because you can see people who have far less than you that are still content. That still can make it. Right? It is eye-opening. We can learn from other people. The next thing he says is, I have learned. Meaning, he learned from his experience. Now, we all have experience. But not all of us learn from our experiences. Have you ever had to learn the same lesson over and over and you're like, man, I should have learned this last time, right? I should have learned this last time. I've been through this. Here we go again, right? But he's saying, no, I learned from my past experience, meaning last time I was abounding, I still needed the Lord to be content. And last time I was abased, I still needed the Lord to be content. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says this. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation. I mean, that's taking it to the next level. You're going to glory in tribulation? You're going to glory in trouble and trials and temptations? Why? Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience what? Experience. And experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Which is given to us. When the Holy Ghost is shed abroad in our hearts. And the love of God is shed abroad. You know what what experience says? That's all I need. To be content. Even in the midst of tribulation. Even in the midst of trials. Even in the midst of temptation and testing. That's what it will show you. It's the Holy Spirit. And then he says this. By the way, we're learning every day. We're learning new things every day. Right now, you're in a new area of life, you're learning, right? Think about that at work, all that tribulation you're going through right now. You're learning. 
Say, I'm learning. I'm in school. I'm in school. Am I being sanctified through this process? Through marriage? Through parenting? Through that health issue that you have? Am I learning? Lord, what are you teaching me? Am I being sanctified through this? Meaning, am I being set apart? Am I dying to self and being set apart for the Lord? Am I still able to be content in the midst of these, all these problems that I'm facing today? It's a new area of life that you're learning. We're learning. We're learning. And then Paul says, I am instructed. I am instructed. I can, through Christ, learn contentment. Paul said, I'm instructed to learn this. Meaning, the Lord's told me that I, I got to learn contentment. Paul, at the end of his life again, or later in life, talking to Timothy, says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Who wants great gains in their life? We want great gains, right? Here's great gain. Godliness with contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Now, there's a lot of people that are living... I don't think they're certain of that. Like the whole thing is, how much can I gather up? Paul says, you're not going to take anything with you. Nothing. It's certain you can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich, not they that are rich, but they that will be rich. It's a good thing he says that because you know what I, you know, you know it's funny in America you talk about rich. Everybody thinks somebody else is rich. Very few people. I mean, I guess if you get to like Musk and Bezos, they really don't have anybody else to point to. But anybody you talk to, they always feel like it's the rich is somebody else. It's that person the next, next rung up. No one's ever thinks that's me. But can I tell you, if you're sitting here this morning, you're rich. Your water turns on. Your electricity turns on. The gas turns on. The car drives refrigerator works. I'm telling you, you own your own property. You're rich. You're rich. You own your own property in America. You're rich. He says, uh, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Oh, many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money not money, but the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with what? Many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I am learning. I'm learning contentment. Right now, in this process, in this thing in life that I'm facing, what I'm going through now, I'm learning contentment. I can through Christ learn. Not only I can through Christ think, I can through Christ learn. I can be sanctified. I can be changed into the image of Christ. I can. I can learn that. I can learn Christ. If I'm born again, if I have the Holy Spirit of God in me, I can learn Christ. Meaning, I can become more and more like Him. But in order for that to happen, I have to become less and less like the flesh, that part of me that is sinful. 
I think of that old hymn we sing sometimes. Learning to lean. Learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Finding more power than I've ever dreamed. Learning to lean on Jesus. It's learning to trust. Learning faith. How do you learn it? By doing it. By doing it. And here's the final point. Final point. I like putting these two verses together in Philippians chapter 4. Our memory verse, which was Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And then putting verse 19 with this, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So I can, through Christ, my God shall. I can, God shall. You know, I can do it through Christ to strengthen me. And then we can have the hope that God will work these things out. That he will supply the need for what he's called us to do. I think that these two work together. They, they, they work together to encourage us to serve the Lord. Here's the problem with this. Is we have to look at the context of these verses. You really have to read from verse 13 all the way to 19. You know, I've heard it said many times, my God shall supply all my needs. That's a great verse to memorize, by the way. But always put that in context. You don't just pick a verse out and and claim it. What's the context of my God shall supply all my needs? The context is in verse 14, they had communicated to Paul's affliction, meaning the church at Philippi had given to Paul and supported Paul financially. And they had done it multiple times, not just once. They, had, they were faithful in doing this, verse 15. Verse 17, he says that there was fruit, spiritual fruit to their account because of their giving to Paul. Apparently, there's a spiritual account for our giving. That's what Paul says there. Then this verse, my God shall supply all your need. Why? Because of how they were living. Because of how they were giving. Many people use this as, my God shall supply all my needs so that I can live my life for me. That's not the context of the verse. you got to get it all. Like, another way of saying, my God shall supply all my needs to live my life for me, is just by, it just let's simplify it and say, my God shall supply all my greed. And there's a lot of, Christians living like that. Like, I'll do what I want with my life. I'm the master of my resources. And God will give me everything that I lack. No, 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 no. That's not it. God is the master of my resources. And God will give me everything I lack. That's the right thing. Without it, you can't claim the one. Without the context, you can't claim it. This was the truth of the church at Philippi. They were a giving church. They had that mindset of giving over and over. We've talked about this before, but in 2 Corinthians, turn there. 2 Corinthians, see, the church at Corinth was a rich church. (laughs) This is an interesting fact. The church at Corinth was a rich church. The church at Philippi in Macedonia was a poor church. And guess which one had the gift and grace of giving? The poor church. That's true. Let me say that again. The rich church in Corinth had to be taught a lesson about the gift and grace of giving by the poor church. 
2 Corinthians chapter 8. A lot of people think giving is based on your surplus. It's not true. It's not true. Giving by faith is a sacrificial thing. It's a showing of your sincere love for Christ. And we're fooling ourselves to think any different. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he says this. Verse 1, moreover, brethren, he's talking to the church at Corinth, the rich believers there. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit the grace of God bestowed in the churches of Macedonia. That's Philippi. How that in great trial of affliction, read that, in a great trial of affliction, an abundance of their joy. I love that. I love that he puts it together. That just shows it's possible. It just shows it's possible to have abundance of joy and great affliction at the same time. And their deep what? And their deep what? Poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. They were really poor, but great givers. For to their power, and I bear record, yea, beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we should receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And this they did not as we hoped, but first, here's the key, gave their own selves unto the Lord and unto us by the will of God. What did they do? They gave of their own selves first. Beyond their power, they gave unto the Lord. You know what he was telling the church at Corinth? The church at Philippi had broken the bondage that every human has to break in their heart of greed and covetousness. Through the power of Christ, they had broken that. And you know what the result was? Joy. You can't be covetous of your neighbor and full of joy. I promise you that. You can't be greedy hanging on and be full of joy. I promise you that. That's what Paul's saying. They have been able to break the bondage of these things. And they experience the joy. And he goes on to say about them. Look at this. The church at Philippi. 2 Corinthians 8. 8. I speak not by commandment, by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. You know what Paul's saying? There's a lot of folks that will say they love, but that's it. They'll say they love, but they won't give. Paul says, that's not sincere. The Bible says, for God so loved the world, he what? What if he said he, he loved us, but then said, find your own way to heaven? It's not true. And he goes on to say, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was God. Yet for your sakes, for our sakes, for my sake, he became poor, that ye through, the, through his poverty might be rich. We're rich, not just because we're Americans in America. We're rich because we're co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We're rich because he's prepared us a place in heaven. We're rich because we have an eternity with him. We're rich. Why? Because Christ gave, we became rich. Because Christ gave, we became rich. That's the gospel. He gave so that we might be, you know what our great need is? He said, we'll supply all your need. And as soon as you read that, Many people think earthly need, like he's going to pay my light bill. And by the way, I believe if you live by faith, he'll pay your light bill. 
I believe that. You live by faith and you serve him with your heart, he'll do that. You say he's going to pay the doctor bill. He will. I believe it. You live by faith. I, 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 just, I just believe you live by faith. God will take care of you. I believe it to the, to the core. I've seen it. I've seen it. That Jose that you saw the picture of has lived by faith for 30 years. And he could stand here for hours and tell you stories where he didn't have anything but God to provide the food on his table. And God's done it for 30 some years. God's done it. You say, how often does he come to America and ask for money? I don't know that he has in the last 10 years or 20 years. He lives by, he's an American, a U.S. citizen. He lives by faith in Mexico. I think if you live by faith, God will supply your needs. But your greatest need is not your light bill or your doctor bill. Your greatest need is salvation. And he provided it. He provided it. No one else could do that. He died on the cross and rose from the dead so that you can know that you have salvation. And someone that has salvation, yeah, hey, look, that's monopoly money compared to Bezos or Musk. To know that you're born again. To know that you have eternal life. Wow. He's provided our needs. The resources of God. Think of the resources of God. They're limitless. Endless. He spoke the world into existence. He's got the resources. Matthew 6, 8 through 11. He says, Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth the things ye have need of before you ask Him. You know what? God knows what we need before we ask. Can I say this? God knows what we need more than we know what we need. You say, well, if He knows what I need before I ask, why should I ask? I'm glad you asked. The next verse says, After this manner, therefore, what? Pray ye. Is that a suggestion or, or a directive? That's a directive. He says, Pray ye. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You know what? God knows our needs before we ask, but he wants us to ask. Why? It, it, it activates our faith. It shows our trust. It shows our trust in Him. It shows our love for Him. And He wants that. He wants that. He knows what we need and He will provide our needs. I can through Christ. I can through Christ. My God shall. When we, look, it's this, this is the confidence that you can have. When you make God Lord of your life, and that means everything. You know what the Philippians did? Before they ever gave money. You know what they gave? Themselves. So once you've done that, that's everything. He said they gave themselves first. Once you've done that, you know what? You can say with all the confidence in the world, my God shall. My God shall. And boy, there's a peace and a joy of knowing my God shall supply all our needs according to His riches. <laughs> wow. Be not weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap if you faint not. We can believe that. We can believe that I can through Christ and my God shall. That, that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. That being confident in this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Without him I can do nothing. But with him I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. 
I can, through Christ, think. Think. I can, through Christ, learn contentment. It's something that I got to learn. It just doesn't come natural. I got to learn contentment. I can, through Christ, my God shall. As I give my life to Christ and make him Lord of my life, I can believe that he will supply all my needs. Maybe you're here this morning. You're not in Christ. There's never been a time where you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You say, how do I do that? By putting your faith in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Would you do that this morning? Would you pray and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I'm asking you to save me. I'm putting my faith and trust in your payment to provide for my need of eternal life. I'm trusting you with all of me, my heart, my mind. Trusting in nothing else but you alone. Turning to you as my Lord and Savior. Can I tell you, if you do that, He will provide your greatest need. And that is eternal life. hear from you and learn how you've been encouraged or challenged by this podcast leave a comment on the contact us page on our website or write to us at 2094 east state route 73 waynesville ohio 45068 and feel free to visit us if you're in the south dayton ohio area